0: Great time of year. The leaves are changing and falling. You can wear a hoodie about every day. All the YouTube barbecue channels that I love to watch are all doing turkeys to get you ready for Thanksgiving. We are on the cusp of the holidays. So, have you already made plans for Thanksgiving and Christmas? Are you stressing out about it? Do you already have hurt feelings in your family somewhere in that chain because of decisions that were or were not made? This is getting more rhetorical, isn't it? It's an annual tradition unlike any other, isn't it? Figuring out what you're going to do these last few months of the year. When I meet with couples before they get married, one of the subjects I always want to bring up and ask them about is the holidays. And they'll say, oh, we're not worried about that. And I say, you will be. (laughs) You will be. With the holidays come a lot of uh, interactions and expectations around family. And so to get you prepped... We're gonna have a three week sermon series called Generation to Generation. The Bible is in many ways a story about families from the many genealogies uh, that we can read uh, to the use of familial terms, almost on every page of the Bible. But scripture doesn't always paint a pretty picture of family because scripture deals with reality. So in this series we'll explore how much of who we are is shaped by our family of origin. And how we can do our part to contribute toward being a healthy family. Over and over again in the Bible is a narrative with family at the center. Triumphs and failures. Expansion or contraction. Function and dysfunction. Check out some of these word recurrences in in scripture. I won't read all of these to you, but here you can see a lot of different familial language and their recurrence in both the Old and New Testament. So family is mentioned 514 times, the word in Hebrew in the Old Testament, and then in Greek, 29 times in the New Testament. Look at how often the word son is used, 2,218 times in the Old Testament. If you're familiar with some of the Old Testament literature, you may understand or think back to those genealogies, these long list of names, son of, son of, son of. And you can see how important lineage was, especially in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, the word son is often used in in reference to Jesus. The word father used over and over again. So you you can see how those are kind of distributed. Central to Jesus' message, to his entire mission, was the embodiment of a mutual loving relationship between parent and child as the image of God relating to us. Family is at the center of the gospel. Jesus himself was born into an earthly family. When and where this happened affected his life. It shaped it. Who his family was impacted his life. So what I hope we'll discover as we study God's word together is that we all inherit patterns from our family. And we can take what's helpful and break what's not. In the book of Mark, Jesus is in the middle of uh, seemingly a marathon teaching and and traveling and healing people. In chapters 1 through 8, the author presents a chain of events where Jesus is interacting with crowds and healing people. Mark is one of the four biographies of Jesus called the Gospels. And that's a word that simply means good news. So let's see what it says today. This is from Mark 3, verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. People flocked to see and to hear Jesus. They came from all around. He was a controversial figure and his reputation preceded him. And he caused a scene almost everywhere he went. And I love the detail that so many people were crowding around that they didn't even have time or or maybe even the room to eat. I would have been a very grumpy disciple of Jesus, I think, if that were the case. But I love that little human detail in there. It was, it was so wild, they didn't even have time or room to eat. Well, then some familiar people show up. In verse 21, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. Now, this verse can be tricky to interpret. What, what, is, what is family referencing? Who, who specifically? And what do they mean By taking charge of him. Now later on in the chapter, Mark refers to Jesus' family. And then in verse, uh, let's see, three of chapter six, we read, isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, aren't his sisters here with us? So it's referencing Jesus' family, including a couple names. So some configuration of these people have, have shown up, his family has busted in on Jesus, and they're trying to shut it down. To take charge of him. The term in Greek for take charge is sai uh, which means to seize or arrest. And the sense is to apprehend, to take into custody. So the things Jesus is claiming and, and the things that he's teaching, his behavior has led Jesus' own family to say he's out of his mind. And they aren't the only opposition in the room. This is verse 22, and the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. And so the companion theory was that Jesus was doing all this by some type of demonic power or ability. And you could think of that as being synonymous with being out of his mind. Jesus' own family sided with his critics. And I think we need to think about that for a moment. This is what Jesus dealt with in this episode alone. That Jesus' family and his adversaries were aligned against him. And so I wanted somebody to tell you, if your family isn't perfect, you're in good company. That's good news today. The Bible is a book filled with dysfunctional families. Jesus' own family rejected him. Early on in his ministry. In the Old Testament, Abraham's family had a pattern of favoritism that was destructive as it passed down. King David's family had a pattern of, of a lack of discipline, which had major consequences throughout their family's reign. We can make a long list of of generational patterns that went on through the years that we see in scripture. And we can also think to some of those in our own lives. Now, this is not an easy thing to do. Today, we may be kind of peeking under some rocks that you may not have thought about looking under when you woke up this morning. But this is an aspect of family systems theory and psychology that that generational patterns are passed down from one to the next. And so I'd invite you to consider... of on a positive end. What patterns have you inherited from your family of origin that are helpful and instructive? I want to actually give you a couple moments to think about this. One thing that I've seen my mom and dad do uh, throughout my life that I wanna emulate is that no matter who my parents were talking to, they were the same. And what I mean by that is they they didn't try to change their behavior based on how prestigious this person they were interacting with was. Uh, They they enacted that everyone deserved their full attention and everyone deserves to be treated uh, the same because everyone's equally important. That's something that I want to emulate in my life. I hope to be somebody like that. Now on the other end of the spectrum, what patterns have you inherited from your family of origin that are not helpful and have been destructive? Again, I want to recognize that this may not be an easy thing for some of us to, to spend some time reflecting on. You know, are, there, are there patterns or propensities toward addiction in our families? Maybe an unhealthy way of dealing with conflict. Maybe there's a lack of an ability to communicate effectively, especially when there's a problem. You know, it's interesting as a pastor to try and preach about this because I'm, I'm trying to thread a needle here. Like I want to give you enough to show that this is something I'm trying to work out in my own life, but not so much that it's cringy, right? I think my dad would tell you that sometimes his way of dealing with problems or not dealing with problems was to work, to work a lot. And my dad worked too much. And uh, he was a pastor as well. And ministry is like a lot of jobs. You're never totally done. I mean, I think in most of our lives, there's always another house to sell. There's always another uh, customer to sign up for an account. I mean, we're, we're, ne- we're never like truly done for the day. So there's always more that can be done. So now as a husband and father and pastor myself, I have to be mindful of that same pattern because that's what I observed and was raised in. That's what was modeled for me. Now listen, Nothing would make me want to throw up more than a pastor talking about how much they work. That's not what I'm trying to do here. Uh, But I I did have one example that came to mind of uh, how we can take this pattern and keep it going, perpetuate it, or how we can break it. A couple years ago, I had a very dear friend ask me to do their wedding on the 4th of July. And I was like, oh man, it was a tough call because I want to be there for these folks. I love them. That's part of... That's one of the most sacred things I do as a pastor is to, to walk alongside folks as they prepare for marriage and to preside at the ceremony. It was a tough call. Uh, but in the Musto family, the 4th of July is a signature holiday. You can see my hall there. <laughs> uh, and even more importantly than the entirely too much money I spent on fireworks, here's what I told them. said so I only get 18 4th of Julys with my family. I don't give any of them away. I get 18 of these with my kids. Nobody else gets them. I don't give any away. So, friends, sometimes even a bad example that we've inherited can be a good example of what not to do. Now, I'm a psychologist, I'm not a pastor. I haven't studied counseling, Pastor Sherry has. I've studied theology. But I've read enough and lived enough to know that our family of origin shapes us in ways that we might not even be aware of. And we're barely scratching the surface here. And so if you're interested in doing some more work on this in your life, I'd recommend the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's by a pastor named Peter Scazzaro. And he really digs into the power of our families of origin and how we can break sinful patterns that we've inherited. And that was ultimately Christ's mission to break the pattern of human sinfulness as our savior. You may or, not be, may or may not be familiar with the Bible's many genealogies, these lists of family lines. In the book of Matthew, we see the genealogy of Jesus, and this was meant to communicate something to us. The family tree of Jesus, and it has some interesting inclusions, some interesting features this is from the first chapter of Matthew. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Abed, whose mother was Ruth. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And I put in parentheses there, Bathsheba. Genealogies in the scripture rarely, if ever, included Women. I mean, I showed you the data. The disparity between male familial language and female is, is clear. I, you can make a chart out of it. Right? This is where we... Oh, somebody's on it. This is, this is uh, where we get all the recurrences of father and son. So many of them are in these genealogies, especially in the Old Testament. And so in the book of Matthew, we have four scandalous inclusions. Four women who in many ways were victims of their time. Tamar and Ruth, they were foreigners. They weren't from the tribes of Israel. Rahab, a prostitute. Bathsheba, the widowed wife of King David and his sin. This was Jesus' family history, along with the other sermon full of content I could have given you of all the ways the men in that line screwed up too. This is Jesus' family history. This is his family of origin. My favorite author, Eugene Peterson, said this. Anybody can get into the family. That's the good news. Anyone's personal story can be incorporated into the family history. The purpose of the genealogy in the book of Matthew is to demonstrate the endless redemptive range of God's ways and his creation. God used broken people and families to bring about our perfect savior. And so no matter what patterns you've inherited or you've been subjected to, Jesus came to break them all. This is from the book of John. He came to that which was his own. And now normally when we read this around Christmas time, we think, oh, his, his own being like society rejected him. His culture rejected him. I hope whenever you read this verse now that we've had this Sunday, you think his own also meant his own family. He came to that which was his own. And his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. What a blessing to be able to celebrate the baptism of a child born of God today. Friends, Jesus offers us a better way. We can take the patterns we've inherited that lead us toward Christ. To, to doing those things that help us possess the mind of Christ and walk as he walked, as John Wesley would say. And we can break the patterns we've inherited that no longer have to define us. In family systems, one of the hallmarks of a dysfunction in a family is triangulation. This may be something you may have heard of, you may not have. I'll bet you've experienced it. That's when someone involves you in something that really is between them and someone else. Again, this isn't family time with Adam, but as we get ready for all the hubbub around the holidays, wanted to give you a little tool to deal with some of this stuff. Last week we talked about Jesus' model of conflict resolution and and, and restoration. And the first thing that we do is go and talk with that person directly. Triangulation is trying to get around that. They don't talk to the, the person they actually have a problem with, they talk to you. And so this month, when someone wants to pull you into the gravity of the family drama, you can sidestep the whole thing with one question. What did this person say when you asked them about it? And then you just let the silence do the work. <laughs> you just sit there. Oh, well, I'm, I'm so sorry. What did they say when you asked them about it? I'm trying not to have a smug face like I do right now. This puts the onus back on them to solve their own problems along with the other party and not you. Don't fall for the triangulation. I almost want to have you repeat it. Don't fall for the triangulation. So over the course of the next two weeks, we're going to look at the story of Joseph and his brothers and how they sold him out literally and the amazing capacity for grace that Joseph had for his family And then we'll look at King David, whose own son rejected him, betrayed him, and fought against him. And we'll discuss forgiveness and reconciliation in our families. Early on in Jesus' ministry, his own family rejected him. Now his brother James went on to write the book of James. So they came around. But friends, the Bible is a collection of one family failure after another. We all inherit patterns from our family, from generation to generation. Take what's helpful and break what's not. That's what Jesus came to do, to break the pattern of human sin. So no matter what our family of origin, through Christ, we are adopted as God's sons and daughters. And everybody said, amen.